Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Folks, we're teetering on what could be an economic meltdown, threatening to wash away our savings and retirement. Inflation has surged to levels unseen in 40 years. Gold is the smartest and most responsible investment you can make for you and your family in times like these. A safe haven asset that protects your purchasing power and your wallet from inflation. When it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. My friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust ratings in the precious metals industry and builds relationships based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwithlou.com today or give them a call at 844-6484-LOU. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call 844-6484. 84-L-O-U and speak with one of their experts. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwithlou.com or call 844-648-4LOU. Hello everybody, I'm Lou Dobbs and welcome to The Great America Show. Great to have you with us. These are difficult times. The government is now just days from what could be a shutdown, and the conservatives in the House are standing strong, insisting Biden secure our southern border. Congressman Matt Gates and members of the Freedom Caucus say they're all for shutting down the government if Speaker McCarthy doesn't offer a clean bill on funding border security, and it seems McCarthy has gotten the message. Here's McCarthy letting Biden know... His days of a wide open border are numbered. No longer will we sit back and allow him to ignore the problems that he has created. This is too important. The American lives that are at stake, it is the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 45. It's, this is a bipartisan issue. This is the leaders of the Democratic Party, except what's in this House. So we will give them an opportunity Do they want to stand with the leaders of the Democrats across the nation who are elected? Do they want to stand with the American people? Do they want to stand with the families that are crying out? It's not a big ask. It's not a big ask at all. We have passed H.R. 2. It's sitting in the Senate. They have chosen, Schumer has chosen to ignore his governor, to ignore his mayor, to not act on this. Well, you know what? We will give the president and the Democrats an opportunity to do something about this border. And you know what? In doing so, we will keep government open and solve these problems. The border security and illegal immigration crisis has hit cities all over America. One sanctuary city in particular that is taking a beating by illegal immigrants is none other than New York City, America's largest city. 
And as of today, New York is caring for more than 60,000 asylum seekers, so-called, who were sent to the Big Apple from Texas. The city has contracted more than 100 hotels for the illegals, and the city's spending more than a billion dollars. This astronomical price tag doesn't take into account other government and private facilities New York has taken over all across the city to house and shelter the illegals. One borough in New York City, Staten Island, is fighting back against the Marxist Dems and their inept Mayor Eric Adams. A Staten Island Supreme Court judge ruled that a former high school that Adams had turned into an illegal immigrant facility has to shut down and immediately. One of the lawmakers who've been fighting to have it closed down is Staten Island City Councilman Joe Borelli. He joins us now with an update. Joe, give us the latest on Staten Island and its stand against illegal immigration. Well, thankfully, uh, hopefully uh, we, we don't have to go through an appeal. Uh, I'm hoping the mayor stands down uh, and decides that it's not worth the appeal in this case because, uh, as a lot of people aren't aware, the mayor himself, the city's law department, is in court trying to undermine the right to shelter himself so that he could give people uh, 30-day evictions and 60-day evictions. This settlement today, this decision rather today, gives him that as it stands right now. So he doesn't have to appeal that. He could take this decision and use this to, to implement uh, whatever uh, policy he wants to, to, uh, to basically alleviate some of the long-term residents of these shelters. Uh, and by the way, Lou, one point that's not getting mentioned, this judge today was a Democrat. He's a Democratic elected judge uh, from Staten Island, and this is a lawsuit uh, that was bipartisan in nature. So it's a good thing for the whole city. Well, it's uh, tempers are flaring. The tensions are high as the the mayor has been uh, authoritarian uh, in his in his actions, in my opinion. Uh, It's it's something's got to be done because these illegals are going to keep coming uh, as long as Adams uh, permits it. Uh, So what what is next for him? Right. I mean, the president granted these temporary work authorizations, uh, which is unfortunate. That's not going to help alleviate the problem. Uh, if you give, you know, 50,000 Venezuelans work authorization tomorrow, uh, that doesn't solve anything if 50,000 more Venezuelans and whoever else can just cross the border in the next week or two and take all the places in the migrant shelters as is. That's what we're afraid of. Uh, that Democrats are just really offering nothing but but, but half-cocked solutions that aren't going to actually result in in the decrease or the 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 uh, basically de- decommissioning of all these migrant shelters around the city. And that looks like what may follow because if Adams takes the out that your successful lawsuit has given him, uh, he won't need uh, any further uh, judicial uh, approval. Uh, he can just simply start moving on it. Correct. Correct. He could start giving people 30-day evictions or 60-day evictions, maybe if they have kids or something, uh, and then can, can go from basically 208 shelters and 10 cities uh, down to almost nothing over time, which, which should be his goal. We're spending more in the next fiscal year than the entire budget of Phoenix, Arizona. So think about that. The largest city in America is going to pay for the biggest city budget in America, ours. And we can also pay for the fifth largest city uh, in the country's budget as well. We could basically pay to run every service the city of Phoenix does for the same cost we're actually sheltering these migrants for. It's actually even bigger than the whole budget of, of Mississippi, a whole state. It's incredible. It is incredible. And he's done it not just in New York, but across major cities all across this country. 
there the chaos is reigning there is without any question a backlash that is building and i mean building strongly in this country what in the world must the democrats have been thinking to simply throw open a border and have and have this approach uh, to to millions of illegal immigrants that are in the country. We don't even know how many they are. Estimates range from uh, additionally in the th- three years of the Biden administration, almost three to up to 12 million uh, illegals in the country as a result. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is entirely their doing. I mean, back in 2020, Joe Biden ran on undoing the Trump uh, border policies by any one. Unfortunately, well, you know, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But he's the president. And in in January of 2021, they changed 89 Customs and Border uh, Administration policies, as well as ending MPP. And now we have this problem, uh, like you said, not just in New York City, uh, but in so many of our large cities across the country, not to mention the problem that has existed in these border states. So this is more people than we can ever have imagined. By the way, this didn't happen in the Trump administration, honestly. But we've never seen it this bad in the Obama administration. We didn't see it this bad in the Bush administration. You can go back to Clinton. You can go back as far as you want. You have never seen this bad in this country uh, until Joe Biden decided in January of 2021 to change these policies. Well, Joe Biden and whoever uh, is... uh is the puppet master for all of this because Joe Biden's incapable of uh, bringing together even these uh, destructive policies that have been uh, been orchestrated over the course of his administration. I mean, it's it's a uh, this has been an effort to destroy America, plain and simple. What are the people of Staten Island going to do here? Uh, this uh, this high school, uh, as I understand it, is right next to another school, a, a, a grammar school. I, I mean, it's outrageous uh, that they would even think to do that, to put in all of those illegal immigrants next to school children. It, it was the wrong place uh, uh, entirely. I mean, we had another shelter that was in an old hotel in the middle of nowhere that people didn't really get as agitated about. This was, as you pointed out, a school. My wife is an alumnus. It's closed. It was supposed to be a public school down the road. And all of a sudden, it became this migrant shelter. And it's across the street from a, a disabled children's school, a K-12 through elementary school, and another high school. So it's, it's just appalling that this was the location they chose. This location doesn't even have showers. So the temporary showers they brought in are basically on the back of a trailer and in the next-door neighbor's backyard. Imagine you wake up one day and you just hear people singing in the shower in, in essentially your backyard. Uh, and that's what we were just supposed to shut up and take uh, as Staten Islanders. Uh, as you saw from all the videos, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them, Staten Islanders didn't take uh, too kindly to it. Uh, and, and we've been out in the streets almost every night since they moved in, just protesting, exercising our rights. Uh, and, of course, we went to the courts, and, and finally we got the decision. We're also in courts, uh, by the way, on the parkland uh, that the mayor wants to use uh, to house these migrants because you can't just alienate parkland. I mean, that, that there's severe federal laws and state laws against that. So I think we'll be successful in that one, too. Well, I'm, I have to tell you, <laughs> Councilman, I'm not surprised it's Staten Island that's standing up and telling the mayor to go to hell. Uh, it's uh, it's also refreshing to see a, a community defend itself rather than uh, sort of suck air through their teeth and watch uh, as they're overrun 
uh, by this disaster nationwide. Uh, you're you're uh, to be complimented, I have to say, uh, for uh, your leadership and the way that you and the community have moved ahead to protect yourself and to to stand uh, up against uh, a, an admi- a presidential administration and a mayoral administration that, frankly, I think are out of their ever loving minds. Uh, you get the last word on this show. Uh, Mr. Morelli, uh, your thoughts. Well, thank you, Lou. And, and you can't leave out the governor uh, who just decided uh, to, to, to uh, basically bring on another 150 National Guards men and women to basically be uh, social workers in camouflage. So we could bash the mayor. We could bash the president. We can't leave out our dear governor, Kathy Holcomb. Amen, brother. Councilman Joe Borelli, thanks for being with us and all the best to all of the great people thank of you. Staten Island. Thank you. Councilman Joe Borelli, thanks for being with us. Well, the world's richest man, Elon Musk, says that the open border has created a severe crisis for the nation. Musk is going to the border this weekend to see firsthand just how bad it is. Musk says he'll head to the Eagles Pass sector of the border to see what has happened to a small town of 28,000 people who've had 7,500 illegal immigrants flood into the town in just the past 48 hours. Good for Elon Musk. Every business leader in this country should be following his example. We're going to take a quick break here. The Great America Show continues in just moments. Please stay with us. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back, and thanks for staying with us. The Marxist Dems have taken over the federal government, as we've documented here, and nearly every quarter of our society and economy. They are ruining this nation and will ultimately be responsible for its demise. It's up to the Republican Party to save the republic, and it's far from a sure thing. But at least the American people have awakened to what the Marxist Dems are doing to this great country. A new poll from Morning Consult supports just that conclusion. Americans say Democrats are more extreme than Republicans and are losing faith in the Marxist Dems to govern at all and keep this country safe. In that poll, most say by 47 to 44 percent, Republicans are more capable. And by 47 to 41 percent, voters say Republicans are more likely to keep the country safe. More awakening, less woke, a very good thing. The House Oversight Committee holds their first impeachment inquiry hearing this Thursday, and just yesterday they released their list of witnesses who will be testifying. Among them are Bruce Dubsinski, a forensic accountant with more than four decades of financial investigations and expert witness experience, 
who's testified in more than 80 trials. Eileen O'Connor, former Assistant Attorney General for the Department of Justice Tax Division. George Washington Law Professor Jonathan Turley. And House Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith has also reportedly scheduled a vote for today to release further relevant information on the Hunter Biden investigation. Our guest today is an FBI whistleblower, former FBI agent Steve Friend. He was suspended from the Bureau when he decided to blow the whistle on the FBI's abuses of innocent Americans involved in the January 6th protest. Steve, it's great to have you here on The Great America Show. Your thoughts today on the FBI so obviously corrupted, politically corrupt. Yeah, it's it's been exactly one year. Last uh, September 19th was the day that I walked in the office and was unceremoniously escorted out for making my protected whistleblower disclosures. Uh, that's not the actual official reason. The FBI found its way around the Whistleblower Protection Act by suspending my security clearance for looking at the employee handbook improperly. And I think just as a retrospective, looking at the last year and how the FBI's reputation has just been so sullied by an innumerable number of weaponization examples we've seen around the country. I think that uh, I got out while the getting was good, because now at this point, I think there's just a, a reputational problem that's going to hound so many people that have stayed behind. How long were you in the FBI? I joined in 2014. Yeah, so it was about eight and a half years that I was an agent. First seven was spent in Iowa working on Indian reservations, then right. relocated to Florida to work on child pornography before being reassigned to work on domestic terrorism. It's, it's, it's just amazing to me that an agent uh, who had uh, come up through the ranks and had uh, the experience you did uh, because you stood on principle saying that you didn't think it was appropriate uh, to to go in with a <laughs> tactical team uh, for a misdemeanor arrest, that that set off what was to be your separation from the FBI. Tell us about that. Well, I actually had a twofold concern. One was that the FBI was manipulating its statistics when it came to domestic terrorism, was using the January 6th cases and, and spreading them around the country to make it look like there was a, a greater risk of domestic terrorism. And, and that was an, an effort done to uh, enhance the statistics because the FBI has a quota system. And that's why January 6th was such a boondoggle for the Bureau. And secondly, as you touched on, we were sending SWAT team to arrest an individual. And in this case, he actually was alleged to have committed a felony. But my objection was, and, and I said this as somebody who was a SWAT team member for five years, he had pledged to be cooperative a year and a half before when we had actually interviewed him for the investigation and that lapse in time and plus sending the enhanced risk of the the more uh more risk of use of violence when it comes to a tactical team i, I thought presented an unnecessary risk to his safety and to ours it was very much like i could see a waco happening and uh, we always like to monday morning quarterback those incidents and i said guys i'm here on saturday saying what you're doing is wrong yeah, and you know, projecting to today, uh, we're we're talking about a, a couple of incidents in the last month, in which tactical teams from the FBI went out for arrests, uh, and and shot and killed two two people they were serving a warrant on, uh, and it's gotten to be, and as far as I know, there's been no investigation whatsoever, 
but a 6 a.m. tactical, uh, you know, uh, approach to uh, to taking into custody a, a a person that they know to be having mental troubles, one of veteran uh, with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, the other, again, a man, a, a, a fellow, I think he was in his uh, late 60s. Uh, these are considered risks that you bring a tactical team in and try to get bring them out at six o'clock in the morning. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff they're doing. And it's and a search warrant starting to be a death warrant, isn't it? It is. It is. The FBI has made the process the punishment. And that is uh, not in keeping with traditional law enforcement. It's your job to bring a subject into custody using the least amount of force necessary. And that requires you to be nimble in your thought processes. As it was a case, as we saw in Utah, that was a gentleman who was not ambulatory. He was elderly. He was in poor health. And it would have been completely appropriate to contact him by the phone or to send a deputy locally or to just interdict him when he was on his way to the mailbox with a, a couple of agents. But unfortunately, there is a thought process problem that exists within the FBI where they no longer view themselves as case agents that you see on TV and movies where they chase after the bad guy, investigate him, and then take him to jail. Now you're a case manager. So if you need financial analysis, you send it to the forensic accountant. If you need evidence collected, you send the evidence team. And when it comes time to make the arrest, you send the arrest team, which is the default option now is the SWAT team. And, and that's, again, a risk, an unnecessary risk to so many people. It's it's outrageous. It truly is. And I think most people are not even paying attention to what is happening. But these tactical teams going in like, uh, you know, it's uh, they're, they're landing on the beach as if he was Jima uh, for uh, for an old man who, as you say, wasn't even ambulatory, uh, who had been making threats, I guess, over the over the Web. I'm not entirely sure uh, of the details. But then to end up shooting him up and flash bangs in the house and tear gas and all of the usual nonsense. I mean, it looks great on television. It's a terrifying and, uh, you know, I could only imagine the fear in that man's heart uh, as that was taking place as he was probably awakening to begin his day. Uh, I, I don't understand how people I don't know how the men and women of the FBI can put up with being uh, being the people who. Uh, who killed it? I really, I, I just don't understand who these people are, who they've become. And I hope that they're questioning who they've become uh, because it's ugly and it's a blight on uh, a storied institution that is itself so solid and corrupt. Uh, I don't know if it's retrievable. Your thoughts. I think that too many people have compartmentalized their objections and they've justified what's going on by do doing the old tried and true. I'm just following orders. And I have bills to pay and mouths to feed, but I, I've just fallen back on, I would rather have hungry children than morally bankrupt ones. And my oath of office meant a lot more to me than apparently so many people. They, they've basically made it a agreement on an iPhone update. They just check yes and then do what they're told because they know there's an opportunity to, to have a great pension and a, and a great salary. But uh, that's not why I, I joined the ranks of the FBI. And I'm just tremendously disappointed that so many people, they, they can't bury their heads in the sand at this point. We all received the same training. We all went to the Holocaust Memorial and the MLK Memorial. And we learned that it's incumbent on you to throw the flag if you think that the FBI is off the rails because those sorts of atrocities only happen when people just follow orders just follow orders um and we know the orders coming out of uh 
uh, out of FBI headquarters. They were to find more domestic terrorists. Uh, that was the new cry uh, in 2020 uh, during that uh, campaign year for some reason. Uh, and and suddenly you were amongst the very first, if not the very first, to point out that they were cooking the books, trying to create so-called, quote-unquote, domestic terrorism cases. Yes, I did. In January 6th is, is not unique. This is a practice that's been going on for a long time. Uh, it started with homegrown violent extremists that we heard about in the early 2000s. And you have the Liberty City 7, which is still the largest Al-Qaeda takedown in the history of the FBI. But unfortunately for those gentlemen, none of them were actually a member of Al-Qaeda. And the FBI is now focusing in on what they are labeling domestic violent extremists. And last September, President Biden said that those people are anti-government white supremacists. And that is also, interestingly enough, how we characterize Republican voters. So the FBI is really just doing the bidding of preserving the status quo for who is sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, as opposed to combating real crime. And they're manipulating the stats to do it and saying that the threat is far greater than it actually is in the country. Well, they're right about one thing. The threat, the threat is greater, but the threat is emanating from the very government that we expect to defend us rather than target us. We're talking with Steve Friend, a great American. Uh, we are talking with him on uh, the one year anniversary of his suspension from the FBI as he stood on principle and the FBI. Well, they have become a corrupt agency and they proved it again in his case. We'll be right back. Talking with Steve, friend. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back now with Steve Friend, whistleblower and, uh, and great American. Steve, what are you doing now? Well, I resigned from the FBI last February, actually the morning that I testified for the Weaponization Select Committee. Uh, and I did that because the FBI denied me my request for outside employment. I was an unpaid, indefinitely suspended agent for 150 days. My, my wife lost her job as well in the immediate aftermath of what happened to us. And those were just a few of the usurpations. There were many more. And ultimately, though, I applied for and uh, was accepted as a fellow at the Center for Renewing America, where I'm advising on domestic intelligence and domestic security services and hoping to push out more information to as many Americans as we can about the, the rampant abuses that we're seeing every day uh, at the hands of the FBI. And I hope your family's well. I hope your wife is pursuing her career. Uh, and I, I'd just like to know your thought process right now as you are watching what is happening with this federal government. 
what I, is your impression of the government? What, did, how did it change over the the course of your career with the FBI uh, as a former law enforcement officer? Your thoughts uh, about where, where the country is? Well, I think the FBI has fallen into a trap of of mission creep, where they used to be the sentry on the wall looking for terrorists. And now they've evolved into looking internally and, and they've combined that with the fact that it's no longer a law enforcement agency. It's it's an intelligence agency. You look, just look at the FBI's rule book for itself, the Domestic Investigations Operations Guide, the DIOG, and it lists intelligence collection first and foremost ahead of actual law enforcement criminal investigations. And finally, I pair it with the integrated program management, which is the FBI quota book. It's the ticket quota for the traffic cop. And you combine all those forces together, the are pulling in the same direction and the FBI has looked at the internal population as opportunity, targets of opportunity for its needs, for cases, for arrests, for informants, all above board in their book. And uh, unfortunately, that has departed from what we expect of our law enforcement. And you hire a police chief and elect a sheriff in your county to bring the crime numbers down, but the FBI is perversely incentivized to bring the crime numbers up so it can justify an ever-expanding budget. And executives actually within the FBI get compensated because the quota numbers are hit. They get compensated on what, like salesmen uh, on commission? Yes. The senior executives in all the field offices, and there's 56 around the country, they are no longer on the GS pay scale that uh, all the government workers normally are. They're on the senior executive service pay scale, and that involves a bonus structure. So hitting the quota entitles these managers to bonuses somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000 annually. And that's not a one-time payment. That's every year. And on top of that, it goes towards their pension. Incredible. And I have to say, Steve, as you may hear the surprise in my voice, I have never heard of this before, that they are actually incentivized uh, by the federal government. It is not only one time annual bonuses, but also goes in by some formula into their pensions. Yes, your pension is calculated on your highest years of earning within the FBI, which normally is towards the end of your career as you've ascended the ladder. And now as they sit in these senior executive service positions, that's where they're earning the lion's share of their, their highest years of earning. And as a result of that, they retire from the FBI and uh, the percentage calculation is based on those those years. So it's it's something that the American taxpayer on the hook for for decades as opposed to just a one-time payoff which on its own is is pretty egregious and it also interferes with the day-to-day -day operations it it's not just a number of cases that have to be open it's the tools that must be used so it's it's very common when you're in the field to be pressured by frontline supervisors to work cases that are going to end with a wiretap because using a wiretap is one of the quota items so that is the most invasive tool in the the tool belt of a law enforcement officer and now you've incentivized or pressured your subordinates to use everything they can in order to to do, use utilize it so that the boss can get a bonus and, and finally it's also structuring around the calendar which is completely inappropriate i've had experiences where i was told to delay indicting certain subjects because we'd already hit our numbers for the year we didn't want them to get bumped up for the following year, work smarter, not harder. Why don't you wait a few months and then indict them when the fiscal year is rolled over and the calendar is fresh and then you can hit the ground running. So sandbag now and look really good next year. Are the congressional oversight committees aware of this to your knowledge? 
I've brought this information to them and uh, I've talked about it very briefly in May when I testified in front of the, the weaponization committee. Uh, and they certainly have the material and I've, I've sent it over and I've actually written about it publicly, some, some columns about it. I haven't heard very much about them. I actually haven't heard back from the weaponization committee uh, other than uh, texts uh, a couple times to make sure that I was doing okay, sort of a sign to see that you're alive. But I haven't seen any action taken on and bringing these reforms to bear. The most I've seen is an offer to maybe deny the FBI its new headquarters building, but that's certainly not going to do anything about the corrupted DNA that it's at its, its core. It's just a symbolic gesture. Yeah, I've had arguments here of late. A number of people who are terrific Americans, they're patriots. Uh, they don't want to see the FBI uh, simply uh, over uh, overhauled completely, which is, I insist that it happen. I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, that place is so corrupt now that I don't believe that any part of it can be saved. I may be wrong about that, but I know this, that just taking out leadership right now is not the answer. This is pervasive. I have never seen such a uh, dis, just disheartening uh, organization turn into something unrecognizable, uh, certainly unrecognizable with the movies that the, the FBI is putting out on television, their series. Uh, how many have they got now? Four. Uh, talk about how great they are. I, I mean, it's a it's a propaganda role. They've got, uh, as you're talking about, their money incentivized uh, in operating uh, what is a corrupt organization. It's politically corrupt. It's now, I find out, actually financially corrupt. Uh, how, how, how much worse is this going to get, Steve? You know, its reputation is everything. I think the uh, we were told when I first got hired that the FBI logo was one of the most recognizable images around the world, and the reputation precedes it. And as a result of that, I was able to do my job very effectively in, in talking to people. They but I think the days are not long. Um, they certainly exist now where people are refusing to talk to the FBI, but how long before a jury immediately acquits anybody brought before them because they doubt the legitimacy of the charges because they were brought by the FBI. So I, I think that there's a, a case to be made and I certainly share your sentiment. I think that the FBI needs to be broken into a thousand pieces and scattered to the wind. But, but I've also proffered one potential uh, avenue if they lack the appetite to actually defund the agency entirely. And that would be for Congress, which they can do today, defund the armed special agent position and make it an unarmed position. And then force the FBI to partner with local sheriff's offices in order to do investigations, use their personnel because they would be the armed law enforcement officers present. And then the sheriff would have a sort of bulwark position against an out of control weaponized government. And he would direct those investigations because again, he knows where the criminals are. He knows what the needs of the community are and he's responsible for his constituents and he wants to bring the crime down so that instead of answering to a quota system that's coming from headquarters in, in Washington, D.C., we're going to answer and empower, not, not defund the FBI, empower local agencies. And, and that might be the course correction that's needed because the FBI is not the magical police. There's far superior actual law enforcement professionals who are working in people's towns every single day. 
and who put their their lives on the line every day holding that uh, that blue line uh, i'm a great uh, believer and fan of sheriffs all over this country who are elected by their communities uh, who i think uh, represent those communities and, and who do an amazing job and the state patrol the state troopers the local police departments are are magnificent uh, they have been reduced uh, to agencies that, well, I, I I frankly don't know how anyone can work right now in local law enforcement in some cities, particularly the Democratic-led cities, uh, where they're under immense pressure uh, facing uh, horrible crime rates and communities that are indifferent to their welfare or that of the, the of, uh, of others. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a mess, and I have to I want to commend you before we go to break here. Uh, you've put forward the first solution I've heard. When we come back, I'd like to know how how Congress reacted to your advocacy for what seems to me to be the smartest uh, solution I've heard uh, offered by anyone. Uh, we're talking with Steve Friend, whistleblower, great American. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back with Steve Friend. He has written a terrific book, True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Uh, it is uh, available uh, wherever books are sold, available on Amazon. Uh, we will have it up on our website uh, today to uh, where you can also go to click on it to get to Amazon and to, uh, to buy a, a terrific read. Uh, we recommend it to you highly. Uh, Steve, how did Congress react when you gave what I think is the most sensible, uh, intelligent, uh, and likely most effective approach to both rein in what is a corrupt organization and to support, uh, importantly, local law enforcement. Well, I only talked about that with some of the members of the committee briefly after testifying, and uh, they, they definitely entertained that idea. They seemed to think that it was novel and something that was maybe worth taking up. Uh, but really, again, uh, back to what I earlier said, have not heard very much from them. Uh, I know that I realize that they're spread really thin and they have other things on their plate, and this is really central to, to my focus and my heart. Uh, that's why I've 
put out uh, some op-eds regarding it, and I've tried to speak out to folks such as yourself or across the media, hoping that this sort of idea could gain traction. And I think that too many of our elected officials lack the the political capital or the political will to push for major reforms, and they're scared of being labeled as a defund the police representative. And I think that you could message this one properly to the American people, because so many people have tremendous respect and admiration for local law enforcement. So empowering a sheriff, empowering local police or state's authorities, I think is something that most people would be willing to go on and get on board with. And uh, and, and this, this sort of reform stops short of a defund the FBI. And I think it's a happy middle ground that would please the most amount of people. Well, it's it is uh, a time where we have we hear very few answers to what are egregious and uh, deeply troubling uh, divisions and conflicts within our our law enforcement, our our governments, uh, and particularly the federal government. I'm talking about uh, those agencies, whether it's the FBI, whether it's the intelligence community uh, agencies, the CIA, NSA, DIA, etc. It's it is a time of, uh, I think, historic conflict within the government itself. Uh, the government is pervasively corrupt, uh, I believe, fundamentally. And I think we have a Congress that doesn't quite yet appreciate how uh, extensive and profound the corruption is, even though they're they're making great headway and these congressional committees are doing magnificent work. I still don't think that entirely they grasp uh, the dimensions of what is the Democrat Party, what it's become under the Marxist dims who lead it. Uh, it's a this is a perilous time in our nation. I'd like to get your perspective uh, on uh, the society as well as uh, our our governmental institutions. I am a firm believer in the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, and I think that the weaponization that we've all witnessed and in many cases uh, been victims of over the last few years have laid bare that the necessity for that sort of uh, governing philosophy to become the predominant philosophy once again. I, I, I again agree with you. I think the sheriff is the, the highest ranking law enforcement officer in your county. He's most responsible to you. And you should have a say in what goes on in your community and care way more about what happens at the the board of commissioners level in your county or the town council or the school board than what the, the goings on are in Washington, D.C. But unfortunately, it's been flipped on its head and it's become sort of a circus and sort of a, actually, unfortunately, a means of entertainment for too many people. They, they view it as almost like professional wrestling. And I think that the only way that we can really course correct as a country would be to pull back from the brink here and re-engage. I, I become fond of saying that we always hear America is not a country, that it's an idea. And I want to proffer that it's not just an idea, it's an action verb. America is something you have to do. And it's not a leisure pursuit. It means you have to get out of your comfort zone and you're going to have to go and, and sit at those boring meetings and, and make sure that your voice is heard because sitting home and complaining about the problem is never going is never a good solution it's just uh it's, it's a symptom of the problem and uh hopefully more people are going to be activated and engaged and and use this rage and frustration that they have with organizations like the fbi and with congress and as long as they direct that energy in a positive way and impact their community most directly i think that that's bodes well for the the, the greatest overall outcome when you were an agent and you worked with the local uh, police departments, uh, the local sheriff's office, uh, they had to be resentful. And I'm going back to my youth uh, as a young uh, police and fire reporter. 
I, I knew the the police department, uh, the police officers, the uh, deputy sheriffs, uh, they were deeply resentful uh, occasionally when the, when the FBI got into a case. Uh, they wanted to, you know, <laughs> they, they protested a, a little bit, the, the, the interjection of the uh, FBI. But it was not a, uh, uh, it wasn't anger, it wasn't even uh, uh, the jealousy, it was just sort of a, you know, the, I, I guess I would say a friendly rivalry uh, over jurisdiction uh, is the best way to put it. There seems to be something else afoot today. This seems to be a, an FBI that means to take both the resources and the authority of local law enforcement uh, from them. Uh, and not even notify often. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've, I, I've read and heard that uh, they didn't even notify local authorities when they were making a raid. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, that that humility that's required and that I always tried to, to do my best to express to the local partners that we had, uh, that, that's been lost. And what people in local law enforcement could and should realize is that they actually hold all the cards when it comes to the functionality of an FBI outside of so many of these large cities. Uh, my office in Daytona Beach was four counties, eight special agents, one million citizens. It was impossible to police at a federal level without the assistance of our local partners. Right. And therefore, the, the local sheriffs and the deputies that were augmenting our manpower as task force officers, uh, they had a tremendous amount of power because they had, they brought a lot of local knowledge and experience that a lot of the agents didn't have. And they, they made our jobs that much better. And that therefore, I think that the way to maybe bring the FBI and rein it in, it's it, certainly it's uh, eccentricities at the local level might be for the sheriff here and what, what one of them actually did. And that was to divest his agency from the FBI, which required some courage because there's funding available. But uh, nowadays, you don't need an FBI. It's not the Bonnie and Clyde days where they could rob a bank and run over state lines. You can coordinate with other agencies at a state level, at a local level, and and force the FBI to come into compliance with what you expect and what you need. And, and that is supposed to be an agency that makes your job easier as opposed to using you to boost its own image and, and accomplishments. Steve Friend, we thank you for being with us. And uh, this has been our first conversation. I hope it'll be uh, uh, the first among many. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, and God bless you, Steve. Thank you very much, Lou. God bless you as well. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Please join us here tomorrow and each and every day. Follow me on Twitter and True Social at Lou Dobbs, on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. And visit our website, loudobbs.com. Thanks, everybody. God bless you. And may God bless and save America.